Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon continues his message entitled, Resolution. Every year, it seems we have to relearn the things that God has shown us in the past. What have you forgotten about that God is trying to retell you? All right, well, we're going to get into the Word now. Maybe. It's cool to be at church and not be able to get people to quit talking. That's a good thing, you know, so people connecting. Um, if, you're, if it's your first time here, we are glad you're here. If you're second time or you've been here a bunch, we're glad you're here. But uh, if, if you are here for the first time, this is Connection Church, and we are here simply to try to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. And that's what we're all about. We just want to see those who are far from God come close to Him. And we want to see us come together as a body of believers um, under the headship of Christ and to do the things that He has called us to do. And so we're glad you're here. Pray that you'll be a part of that. Um, we really believe God's going to do something awesome, uh, not just here, but in this community. And our prayer is that the kingdom of God will begin to take back from the kingdom of darkness and that God will begin to establish his name here in Statesboro, Georgia, and that many people will come to know him and grow in his, his light and his love uh, in this place. So, um, but anyway, glad you're here. I want to talk to you today um, just so that nobody thinks like, they would ever put me on a pedestal or anything. I'm just going to, and not that you would anyway, but I'm just going to go ahead and air out everything today. So what I want to talk to you about today is the lessons I should have already learned, okay? Have you ever thought that? You think, you know, I've gotten to an age or a point in my life where I should know better than this, or I, I should have gotten beyond this. I remember my dad used to tell me a story growing up about a guy, I believe he was in the fifth grade and he drove to school. Okay, so it's not that funny. But it is when you think about a fifth grader driving to school and you don't want to be that person, right? You don't want to be the person who is constantly having to repeat the same lesson over and over again. And yet as I look at my life, as I reflected on the last year or so, one of the things that I've realized is that there are certain things in my life that I continually seem to have to learn again. And so I want to share some of those with you today, and I want to talk to you about that. And I believe that the ones that, that uh, the Lord has really put on my heart this week, you'll probably be able to identify with. I think most of us tend to struggle with very uh, things that are very similar to the same type. I hope you do. I hope I'm not the only one. And, um, but we'll look at these, and we'll, we'll um, go through these. I just want to share some things with you that I seem to have to go back to time and time again. Um, but first of all, I want us to pray, and we're going to ask God to bless this word, that it'll sink into our hearts, God, and that, that God will just do an awesome work through it. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and your grace. Holy Spirit, come and, and just have your way here. God, I, I pray that there would be an anointing far greater than anything that I could do, God, here. I, I know that unless your Holy Spirit works, God, that, uh, that not much lasting change is going to take place. But God, I ask you just to come and, and to move in this time. God, I, I thank you for each person here. I thank you that it's not a coincidence that they're here today, but that they're here by a divine appointment. And God, I pray that through the worship and maybe even through the drive over here through this week, God, that you've just been preparing our hearts to receive what you have for us today. And God, that as, as your word says that this word spoken today, God, would not return void and that it would be good seed, God. And I pray that our hearts would be good soul to receive that seed and that it would grow and produce such a harvest, God, 30, 60, 100 times that which is sown today. 
God, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise for your son, Jesus, and what he did for us on the cross, the forgiveness that we have through his sacrifice. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing I want to talk to you about is one of these lessons that I seem to keep having to relearn. And I think some of us maybe haven't learned it once yet. I've had to learn it several times. Uh, is this whole thing that I like me better when I look at me the way Jesus does and not the way I do. Does that make sense? When I see me through the eyes of Christ, I like me a whole lot better than I like myself when I look in the mirror. And see, that sounds kind of backwards to a lot of you probably because you think that when you stand before Christ that you stand there under this condemnation. You stand there under this thing of I, I, I'm not good enough. I, I, and and your, the honest truth is you're not. The honest truth is that you fall short. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only reason that you're worthy of standing behind that torn veil, as Bethany said this morning, in the presence of God is simply because he made you worthy. And that's good news, right? Yeah, that's good. That's really good. If it weren't for that, we'd all be in a whole heap of trouble. But God has shed his blood. Jesus came and died on the cross. He shed his blood so that you and I can be seen as spotless, as holy. Listen to this scripture, 43, uh, 43. And I, I got to tell you the book. There's a lot of 43s in the Bible. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah 43. I was going to see if the Holy Spirit would somehow just speak to you and you know which book I was in. But go to Isaiah 43. And this is in verse 4. Isaiah 43, 4, it says, Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Listen to this. This is so incredible to me. It's so hard to even get your mind around this. But God said you are precious that you are loved, that you're precious in his sight. I was walking around greeting and, and someone today had a, a small baby, a little infant. And I was looking at that and, and what do we always say? Oh, they're so precious. And it is, man, there's nothing better than a baby. You give my brother-in-law a baby and he'll be happy for hours. You know, he just loves to play with them. And, and it's so awesome to just see the innocence and this awesome um, love that you can have for a child. And we look at them and we say, oh, they're so precious. And yet we don't typically think of God looking at us in that way. We typically think that God is somehow just trying to find something wrong with us so he can try to make our life a little bit more miserable. Anybody ever feel that way? Like you just don't measure up. And so what we end up doing is we try to spend our entire life trying to make ourselves good enough. We feel like if I can ever get my life together, then I can do something for God, but I got to get my life together. And the problem is we've got it all backwards. The problem is that we got to come to Christ. We've got to come to God so that he can get our stuff together and then we can go and do something for him. But we spend so much of our time trying to fix ourselves when the one who can fix us is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so we've got to get to this place where we begin to see this. It says that he'll give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. See, I, I would say that he gave a man for us. 
He gave Jesus for us. He knew, look, he made you. He knew the shortcomings that you would have. He knew the faults that you would have. He knows every hair on your head. Don't you think he knows and knew the mistakes you were going to make in your life? It's crazy to think about this, but when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was this thing that happened where, where he, they destroyed the entire um, creation. Yeah, that's the word, creation, that God had made. And they destroyed it. And here they are, and yet God comes in, and right in the middle of literally hell being unleashed on earth, he begins to make a plan. And he tells uh, the devil, he tells Adam and Eve, he says, listen, I'm going to have one that comes, and I'm going to put a separation between him and between you, devil, and you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. In the middle of chaos, God had a plan to redeem mankind. And that man was Jesus Christ. He gave his only son so that you could come to have this perfect relationship with him. Despite all the junk, despite all the mistakes that you've made, there is a place where we can come to, where we do draw a line in the sand, where we do move forward with God. But we've got to begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. If you'll begin to think of yourself the way God thinks of you, then you can begin to do mighty things for God. But until that day, we're going to always be trying to live up to some standard, some other thing. How many of you, and you can raise your hand if you want to, but how many of you, because this is me, I mean, this is like part of my testimony, right? I mean, I told you these are lessons I'm having to learn. How many of you have lived your life comparing yourself to other people? Lived your life comparing yourself to somebody else. And see, this is such a, a dangerous thing because we look at other people and there's only two possibilities that can happen. There's only two. One is you get into pride or two, you get into insecurity, right? Because you look at somebody who's not as good as you and you go, oh, look at them. <laughs> oh boy. It's kind of like the man that Jesus was talking about. He prayed and he said, Lord, just don't let me be like that guy. Thank God I'm better than they are. I might not be perfect, but I'm not that screwed up. Thank God. You know, you go to the fair. That's how you feel. You're like, my life ain't perfect, but thank God. <laughs> thank God. I'm not like that. You know, so you, you start feeling bad about yourself. You go to the fair. And you start going, yeah, hey, yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And so we look at that and we're like, wow. And so we start looking and we start comparing ourselves to people who we view as beneath us and we start feeling pretty good about ourselves, right? But then the other problem is we start trying to compare ourselves to other people and we come across people who are way better than us. You ever had that happen? When I got, uh, got finished playing baseball, my old high school baseball coach is here today, so he could probably testify to this. I was a marginal athlete. And uh, so I went and I played college baseball and I all of a sudden realized I had been a, a small fish in a small bowl. I looked big in that little bowl, but once I got to the next level, I realized that I was not all that, you know? And it was real quick. And so, you know, you start developing these insecurities. How many of you would say you're a little insecure about things? I mean, I am. There's a lot of things in my life that I struggle with because of insecurity. And what happens is you begin to compare yourself to other people. You begin to start seeing things in other people that, oh my gosh, I wish I was like that. If I could just be like that, man, oh, come on. Look how pretty she is. I hate her. You know? 
Look how buff he is. You know, just one time in my life, I wanted to be brown and ripped, you know? And it just never happened. I worked. I, I watched what I ate. It just didn't happen. I blame it on my dad's genetics I, because it wouldn't happen for me. But we do that. We look at other people. I'll tell you, I'm going to be very honest. One of my biggest insecurities is in preaching. <laughs> and I do that every Sunday. And it's hard because I can listen to another preacher and, and one of two things happens. Boy, whew, glad I don't listen to that every Sunday. Or either I listen to somebody else and I'm like, golly, man, they're so much better than I am. I, could, I can't stand up there on Sunday. I can't waste their time. They need to be listening to this guy. I'm going to play his podcast on Sunday morning. And I fall into this thing of insecurity where I'm looking at everybody else around me and I'm trying to compare myself to them. And you know what? I never really get an honest judgment because I'm not listening to the one who created me. Does it not make sense that the one who created us is the one who ought to tell us who we are? Doesn't that make sense? Would, would you think that you would go um, to somebody who didn't create a tool and say, hey, what do you think we ought to use it? Wouldn't it make sense to go to the one who created uh, a device and say, how does this thing work? I believe that's why they put instructions in with most things you buy is so that you can actually figure out from the people who created it how it's supposed to work. Now, guys, we like to skip those things and we like to try to figure it out on our own. But doesn't it make sense to go to the one who created you to find out who you are and who you're supposed to be? But we usually like to skip over that and go straight to looking at somebody else. Well, if I'm not like them, boy, we can't, we can't reach people for the kingdom of God. If I, you know, if I can't do this, if I can't do that, well, they did this. We need to do that. And we do that in our lives all the time, don't we? We think we've got to somehow measure ourselves against everybody else. And we live in this great place of insecurity. I'll tell you where I believe the healthy healthiness comes is when we begin to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. Because think about this. You think, well, no, that ought to really make us feel bad because we realize how far short we come. But it doesn't because this is what you do. You compare yourself to Christ. You see how far short you come. And then you realize he's forgiven you anyway. And you know what that does? That brings incredible humility. Does it not? Does it not humble you to your knees to think about as screwed up and as dysfunctional as you are, Christ still loves you? No? Amen. <laughs> I mean, it's like, Christ still loves you. Amen. <laughs> I love it. And so we're in this place, man, where we get to a point where we realize as much as I have messed up, man, God loves me. And it makes me want to hit my knees because I don't understand it. I know me. And so does he. And yet he still chooses to love me. That he humbled himself. And you know, all that stuff that I deal with, when I'll stay before the cross and I'll stay before Christ and I realize he loves me despite my deficiencies and all my screw-ups and I stay on my knees before that cross, you know what, my insecurities don't seem to matter quite as much because I'm not comparing myself to somebody else. I'm comparing myself to the love of Jesus. And I'm comparing myself to the one who says that I am precious. And you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to give everything I have to live for him. It makes me not want to spend another hour, another second of my life living for me. Because if he was willing to do that for me, I want to give all of that back to him. I want to live for him. I want you to read to you real quick 
It's in the Gospel of John. If this isn't a perfect picture of the amazing love of Christ, I don't know what it is. It's John chapter 8. I almost forgot to tell you the chapter that time. Beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 6. One of my favorite stories because of just how Christ responds. It says, But Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. See, this was early in the morning. One translation says they caught her in the act of adultery. That means it it, it makes us think that they must have walked in, grabbed her out of the bedroom, and drug her down to the temple and threw her at the feet of Christ. And here she is knowing that by the law, I ought to be dead. I should have been killed. And they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they say, now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do? Because the law says. You know what's so cool about this? Jesus didn't freak out. Jesus wasn't like, oh God, what am I going to do now? I mean, there is a law and the law is. And He's not biting his nails. He's not looking at you going, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do with her because gosh, wow. He's got this under control. He's got it. And he looks her dead in the eye and he looks them in the eye and he says, if you haven't sinned, you cast the first stone. You cast the first stone. Because see, there were two things going on here. One, those men were comparing themselves to her. They thought, look at my righteousness. We were able to drag this woman out of the bed and look at us. We're we're not nearly that bad. What are you going to do with her? And Jesus flips it back around on them. And can you imagine the woman laying on the ground, looking up at these men and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And he says, no, 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 no. You just go and you sin no more. And don't you think that if somebody spares your life, you would do everything you could to live for them, to do what they ask you to do? And that's the place that I have to find myself in, where I'm not comparing myself to anybody else. I'm listening to what Jesus says about me. And what I find is I end up in a deeper relationship with him and I end up living more holy. I end up living more righteous. I end up living closer to God than I ever would have before. Listen, there was a time in my life when you could have walked up to me and said, Brandon, if you die today, you're going to hell. And I would have said, okay, cool. That's all right. See, fear would not drive me into heaven. Fear would not make me accept Christ. What made me fall in love with Jesus was when I encountered a love that was bigger than me. When I had run as far away from him as I could, and I realized he was chasing me still. And God's desire is that you would come to him, that you would look at yourself the way he looks at you, and then you'll go and you'll live your life for him. And this awesome relationship that he's called us to. The second thing that I want to talk to you about, I promise we won't be here all day, um, just half the day, maybe till three, four o'clock. Um, is this. Somehow or another, I, I constantly have to come back to this because I think you, 
you can get um, trapped into this thing of, of having to do, 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 do all, all this stuff. But this one is this, nothing lasting happens apart from the Holy Spirit. Nothing lasting happens apart from the Holy Spirit. I want to read to you real quick, uh, Zechariah. It is in here. Zechariah 4. And this is verse 6. This is the word of the Lord that Zechariah spoke to Zerubbabel, who was in the attempt right now to try to rebuild the temple. It says in verse 6, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Listen, the truth of the matter is that so many of us are spending our life trying to rebuild ourselves under our own strength, through our might and our power. And God says, you can't do it that way. It's got to be by my Holy Spirit. They're in the process of trying to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And this is the word of the Lord that came from Zechariah to Zerubbabel. Bible. You can't do it under your own strength. But how many times do we try to do that in our own life? We try to live by our own power. And I guarantee you, many of you in here today are simply tired and you're worn out because for most of your life, you've been trying to do it on your own. And God says, just let it go. Just let me build it. Listen, unless the Lord builds the house, it's built in vain. So anything you build is not going to last. It's not going to matter unless it's built through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, listen, we can't manipulate somebody to change their life. Unless the Holy Spirit of God touches them, they're not going to change forever. They might do it on their own for a bit, but there's got to be something that God does on the inside of us that lends itself to lasting change. See, we, I heard a wise man say one time, he said, basically, we build castles of sand on the beaches of life, but the tides of time come and sweep them away. That's pretty cool, right? Think about, do you agree? Show of hands. All right. I just want to see, because I actually wrote that this morning, and I just wanted to see if you thought it was cool. But, uh... So I just, I was just curious, you know, but it, isn't it true that we spend all our life trying our best to build these, these castles, trying to build our life, trying to go, okay, I know I've screwed up and now I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. And we just seem to be building things that continually fall, right? They just don't last. They don't last. And God says, if you will let me build it, listen, the only foundation that can be laid is the foundation of Christ. And the only way Christ is laid in our life is if we submit to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has to bring revelation. You can't think your way out of a funk. Have you ever been in a funk? You're just cruising along with God and you're doing great and everything's good and woohoo, you're excited. And then all of a sudden it's like... And it's like you're just bogged down and you just can't get out. You can't think your way out of that. In fact, when you start thinking and trying to figure it out, you end up worse off than you were before. You can't do it. It's only by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God speaking to you, coming into your life and changing things. There's been times in my life, I mean, I told you this a couple of weeks ago. I know some of the students weren't here, but where I was running that day, and I mean, I was just struggling. I was like, God, I don't know. I mean, have you forgot? Are you here, God? Hello? You ever felt like, hello, God? And I was running, and I'm like, where is he? 
And I'm just praying and I, and I listen. And all of a sudden, man, I just felt something jump up in my, in my belly, in my spirit. I felt it and I knew that God was there. And it was the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God touching my life. It's, it's, it's our necessity to spend our life in tune with God so that the Spirit of God is able to put things in. Not by power nor by might, but by His Spirit, our lives are built and things are done and people are changed for eternity. Otherwise, we're spent building those castles of sand that eventually are going to crumble. We've got to begin to do things under the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can't put your marriage back together. Your marital problems, you can work at it. But if, if, if it's going to be a marriage like God desires, where it's one flesh, then the healing comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. The healing comes when we begin to allow the Spirit of God to move. It's the Holy Spirit that some of you have children, some of you don't. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to draw your children to God. I mean, the greatest thing we could possibly do when we take our last breath is to know that our children are serving God, right? That is the best possible thing. Well, I want to tell you, it's not something that we can manipulate them to. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's okay to pray to the Holy Spirit that he would come and do something in your life. Jesus does not get jealous when you talk to the Holy Spirit. He's God. And he wants to work and move in your life. And he will meet you right where you are to take you places that you've never been. And when we begin to do things by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to do greater things than what we could accomplish on our own. Does it not just make sense to think about it? Think about it this way. Does it not make sense that if we do it all on our own, we're only going to accomplish what we can do? I mean, it's just common sense. But when the Spirit of God begins to move in your life and He begins to change your heart and He begins to get going up in your spirit and something just begins to rest. And listen, I am five foot ten. I have been average at pretty much everything I've ever done in my life, okay? Very average. Uh, average height. I was average athlete. I was average, 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 average. But there is something that happens when the Spirit of God gets on the inside of somebody and you start feeling 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And then God begins to send you out to do, you begin to gain a confidence that's not of you. It's not even arrogance. It is just, I know the one who has my back. That's a good feeling, isn't it? I remember I had a cousin who spent the summer with me one time. We'd go down to the ball yard, the ball yard, the ballpark, and we played ball and we played baseball and he was probably like five years older than me and there were always older kids there and they, you know, and, and they liked to pick on me. And, and so, but every time he'd get up, he'd like hit it just as, as, to me, it was like to the moon, you know? And what was so funny is I talked so much smack to those kids and it was because I had my big cousin there, right? I knew they weren't going to do anything to me. He would have beat them to death. So I'm talking smack. I couldn't hit a lick, but I'm talking smack. And, you know, sometimes I think about God being like that. Who, who, who do we have to fear if God has our back? Nobody. What are we worried about if God has our back? Nothing. God is in control. And when we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, man, good things begin to happen. God begins to take us and do things with us that are bigger than we are. I'm going to read to you Isaiah 43, back to 43. And then we're going to start winding this down. Isaiah 43, 1. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. 
you are mine. Is that not incredible scripture? That God has summoned us by name, that he has called us by name, that he has a plan for our lives. The other thing that I have to constantly learn that I need to remind myself of is that God's plan is better than mine. You know, the times we get ourselves in the most trouble is when we start trying to make our plan God's plan. Is that not true? When we start putting our hands on it, we start trying to manipulate that thing around. We start trying to get it the way we want it. Then we try to make our plans God's plan instead of just recognizing that God's plan is what's best for us. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. I see teenage girls do it all the time. They can't trust that God has a plan for them to come and to know uh, the perfect guy at the perfect time. And so they have to try to find that guy. And, you know, most of the time when I would go back and I would start talking to a girl, I'd have a junior or or senior come in and say, you know, I used to be really, really close with God. And now, you know, I I just feel distant to him. I, I don't know what happened. And we begin to talk through it and trace it back. You know what it always came back to? That first guy. That first, well, I fell in love with this guy. And it was a downhill spiral from there. They couldn't trust the fact that at the right time, at the right moment, God would bring that man into their life. But we do the same thing all the time. We try to hurry God, rush God. We, we try to make him do the things we want him to do. And God says, listen, if you will just trust me, if you will just trust me, quit trying to manipulate everything, just trust me. We, we could begin to move in a whole different realm. See, I believe what we need to do is have a clearer revelation of who God is. When we begin to think that his plan is not as good as our plan, then we need to begin to see God in a different way. We need to begin to see him more clearly as the one who has a good plan for us. One who has given us a hope and a future. See, some of us have plenty of scripture in our heads right now. You've maybe memorized most of the Bible, but the thing we really need is a revelation of those scriptures. Does that not make sense? We've got all this stuff in our head. I was talking with somebody this week and they're just saying, oh gosh, you know, I keep trying to tell myself that he's going to work this to good. And we know those things. But what we need is for the Holy Spirit to give us a revelation that this is true. That it doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. I know I'm coming out on the other side. The troubles I'm having now, I know I'm going to come out of this. I might be in the fiery furnace, but I know that God is with me and I'm going to come out better than I was before. And so we've got to hold on to that and realize God's plan is better than ours. Isaiah 43, 2. We're on speed dial now, like just going through this. 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers... They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Is that not awesome? I don't think I need to say anything else. That when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. If you amen that, I promise I'll come out there and hit you on the head with something. Y'all didn't even hear what I said. Never mind. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers... They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Something else that I have to always remind myself is God is bigger than my problems. God is bigger than my circumstances. The things that I am in right now, he's bigger. 
You're in a place with your health right now. God is bigger. You're in a place with your marriage. God is bigger. You're in a place with school right now where you're like, I just, everything's so confusing. I don't know. God is bigger. Your children, they're going crazy. God is bigger. Hold on. I mean, listen to this. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. In your situation right now, God is with you and he is bigger. It says, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Can I tell you this? If you are in Christ and you're clinging to him, you are not going under. Amen. Listen, you are not under um, the, the desires of man. If you are in Christ, God has got you. God is holding you. Man can come and try to do what he wants to, but, but God is the one who gives life. You know, I think it's so awesome when you see people who are going through a difficult time. They're, they're going through a tough time, and yet there's something so supernatural about the way God's working in their life that you look at them and you go, how are they doing this? How are, they're doing it because God has got them. God is keeping them afloat. They're going through the mess because God is holding them. He's supporting them. It goes on and it says this. It says that when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. When you're going through the fire, God is there. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And yet when they threw them in the fiery furnace, there was a fourth in there with them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, look, it looks like the son of man. But I'll tell you, it wasn't that he looked like that. He was the son of man. He was Jesus Christ. He was in the fire. And the coolest thing is they came out of the fire, didn't even smell like smoke. And the only thing that had burned up were the ropes that bound them. Is that not good? Because some of you are going through stuff right now and you feel totally hamstrung. You're going through this stuff right now and you feel like your hands are tied behind your back. And the truth of the matter is God is with you and you're coming out on the other side better than you were before. Because God is bigger than your problems. Does that mean you can sit on the couch and eat Doritos and say, okay, God, do it to me? No, you still got to do your part. You press into God and God will get you to where you need to be. If you will bow at the feet of Christ, you will pray and get direction, and then you'll obey that direction. God will bring you out better than you've ever been. Amen. He has got you. Through the lowest times of my life, when I've clung to the cross, when I've clung to Christ, when I have, have, have put everything I've got to him, even the times I didn't, I've, I've come out better. A year and a half ago, I, I didn't know what was going on. We were in a transition. I was like, I was so confused. I didn't know if I was supposed to be in ministry. I didn't know what, I didn't know what was going on. You know what? I, cl- I clung to Jesus. I even tried to walk away from him. It's the funniest thing. This is honesty day, so I'm going to be honest with you. Jesus, I, I had fallen in love with Jesus, and I went through this tough time. I'm like, I don't even know if I want this anymore. I don't even, I don't know, much less being in ministry. I don't know this whole Christian thing. Maybe I was deceived. And so I decided I'm just going to start. I'm going to kind of ease my way away and just see how it is. And Susan gets in the car and it goes from being like Hillsong United to like ACDC. Back in black. And, And she's like, whoa, you know, she starts praying hard. Because it was such a change. And, but you know the thing about it is, I got to a point in that where, where I, I, I started trying to see, well, maybe, maybe this is, there was something on the inside of me. I couldn't live without Jesus. I couldn't live without Jesus Christ. 
I, I had to go back to Jesus because I knew that my life couldn't work without him. And through the lowest time, I clung to Jesus. And I want to tell you, my greatest dream was birthed out of my lowest moment. Is that not awesome that God will bring you? If he did it from, listen, God is no respecter of persons. It's very clear in his word. He'll do the same thing with you. Cling to him and let him bring you through your t- tough times. Let him strengthen you to bring you through. Now, this is the thing. I, I want to close with this. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8. Because here's the thing. I was talking with somebody else who's in ministry the other day, and they're like, I'm just tired of these cycles. I'm tired of one, one minute I feel like I'm on top of the mountain. The next minute I feel like I'm in the valley. It seems like it goes on forever. So how do we avoid that? How do we avoid having to uh, consistently learn these lessons? And this is what I believe. This is, this is where I'm going with this for this next year. I mean, this is part of what God, I believe, would have for us to do. First Peter 5 and it's 6 through 8. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Listen, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to be alert. We need to be humble. We need to recognize, listen, maybe maybe a better word than alert even is self-aware. What is it that starts causing you to take that downward spiral? where you begin to move away from God, where you begin to get in fear, you begin to quit trusting God. See, usually there's some type of trigger. There's some type of trigger that that causes you. An example of this is for me, I can feel it when I start to get into condemnation and insecurity about preaching, about ministry. And I have to recognize that when I recognize it early, When I see it coming, I know my own tendencies. I'm able to stand against that. I know where the devil's going to attack me. One of the things that the devil loves to do is he loves to find one place, one thing in you that he can take and put his finger. And from that point, he can control the rest of your life. It might be fear. It might be your business. It might be ministry. It might be your children. But there is something that the devil will consistently try to put his finger on and try to control your entire life. When you begin to recognize that, you have been given authority in Jesus Christ to overcome any attack that the devil brings against you. Amen? Amen. So you have the ability to overcome. Be alert, be aware, be self-aware of how the devil comes against you and you have victory over him. The only way that you don't have victory is if he can deceive you and make you think that you are less than what you are. You are a child of God if you are born again in Christ Jesus and you have been given authority over the devil. You can rise above, you can live above anything that he brings against you. The other thing is this, what happens when, when he gets a punch in? When all of a sudden, it's like, oh man, I'm here. I'm here. I'm in this place. I'm back here again. What do you do? And I believe it's in verse 6 right here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you're in that place, then again, you humble yourself and you come back to the foot of the cross And you cast all of that on him. And the Bible is true. He will raise you up again. He exalts the humble. Humble yourself. God's mercies and his grace are there for you. 
fall upon the mercy and grace of God. That he can restore and raise you up. Amen? Amen. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it with everything that's in me. That God's desire is that we would become mighty men and women of God. And that we would become such an awesome force that we're united as one. That the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church of Christ. Amen. God's got an awesome call, not just for this church, for your life. And he wants to do something bigger than you, through you. But we need a revelation of that. And we need to live in the place of God's grace and mercy. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and pray.